I love that song. We started going through all the different names. Anybody else about lose it? I did. Love it. Love it, love it. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me. Two places. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and Psalm 51. All right, we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 3. But at the end, I'm going to, if we have time, I'm going to try to do a quick run through of Psalm 51. So uh, we've been in a sermon series uh, looking at bearing fruit, how God can bear fruit in our life. What happens when God's people grow? And so we're talking ultimately this new year. All right, there's a lot of us that would say, you know what, God, I, I want to grow. I want some areas in my life to grow. So today what we're going to be looking at is the fruit of repentance, how through repentance, God produces fruit in our life. And so we're going to be there. Now, I grew up playing sports, love sports. If I cut the TV on and there are sports on the TV, I'm probably going to watch it. Uh, that's just my life. Now, if I tell you Chicago Bulls, what comes to mind? I mean, Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever live. All right. It's really not up for debate in my mind. All right. Greatest basketball player ever. LeBron, enjoy the back seat, bro. Michael Jordan's driving it. All right. Just my thought on it. All right. And so here's the deal. I, I loved my, I was younger and I got to watch him play. Uh, and I, I love watching him play. And I mean, I wish I could tell you that I love watching him play with like his jump shot, which was sweet, his dunks. I can't tell you how many times as a little kid, I went flying off my bed through my bedroom and dunking on a little goal that was on the back of my door with my tongue out, just like, you know, just like trying to be like Mike, you know? And I loved all of that. But you know my favorite part of watching Michael Jordan play? My favorite part, the introduction. That's my favorite part, the introduction. If you watch the Chicago Bulls, you know they made the introduction famous. They brought the introduction of the players. They made it famous. Here's what would happen. All right, the team would line up, and, and the other team, they would say something like this, and now the Atlanta Hawks, Dikembe Mutombo. They'd say it as lame as possible. And then it would be time to introduce the players of the Chicago Bulls, and it would go something like this. Lights would cut out all of a sudden. And now the starting lineup for your Chicago Bulls, number 23, Michael Jordan. Lights, lasers, smoke show. He's walking out and everybody's like, ah, right. And I'm in my room going, yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I'm walking out like, boom. I can't tell you how many times I replaced Michael Jordan with Jacob Green. I mean, I did that intro so many times, so much so that when I played baseball for Houston County, they allowed us to have a walk-up song, all right? If you play baseball, you know it's pretty important, all right? Chipper Jones, you knew when Crazy Train hit, he's walking out. I mean, that, that glass would shatter, and you're like, oh yeah, here comes Chipper. So I had to pick a walk-out song, and I'm thinking, all right, I want Michael Jordan laser show, and I didn't have that option at Houston County as a high school student. It was so disappointing. I hit that first walk out and I'm like, there's no lasers. There's no smoke. Like the introduction is so important, right? I just blasted some Christian song and it, it put absolutely zero fear into the eyes of the pitcher as I walked up, okay? <laughs> An introduction is really important. And as famous as Michael Jordan is, all I have to tell you as Chicago Bulls, you immediately say Michael Jordan number 23, right? Some of you are wearing his shoes right now. As famous as he is, as look, we, LeBron can say King LeBron all day. You can say whoever your, your, your person is, they'll never touch the name and the fame of Jesus. Every single year, the number one book that is bought in the world every year is the Bible. Every year, it's not close. You can go to any continent in any place 
and you can bring up Jesus and you're gonna find people that have an opinion and a thought and a conversation on who Jesus is. There's really no close second. So you ask yourself, how can the most famous person who has ever lived, Jesus, the Son of God, how did he choose to allow himself to be introduced? I mean, obviously it has to rival Michael Jordan. It's gotta be like the greatest way. I mean, think about it. He's the Son of God. How did he let himself be known? Now, for thousands of years, they were talking about this coming Messiah, but now Jesus has been born. The Son of God is here. He's on the earth. So what, in which way did he make his announcement? Well, look in Matthew chapter three, and we're gonna talk about how Jesus chose to make his announcement. He was revealed through a man named John the Baptist. He was being communicated that the Son of God is present through John the Baptist. So let's start, Matthew chapter three, Matter of fact, that's it. We don't do this every Sunday. We're going to do it today. Why don't we stand together? And I'm just going to read through it. All right, let's stand together. Matthew chapter 3. I'm reading from the CSV version. All right, and this is what he says In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. In case you're wondering what he's saying when he talks about the kingdom of heaven has come near, he, he's going to clarify it. This is what, exactly what he's saying. For this is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John had a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then people from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the vicinity of the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River and confessing their sins. We pray that God will bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen? You guys can be seated. The fruit of repentance, of all the ways that Jesus had someone come and, and announce that he was here, it, it came through a man named John the Baptist who was different. Matter of fact, in a lot of ways, probably we would say that John the Baptist was unusual. Let me give you a few ways that John the Baptist was unusual. First of all, he was unusual in his appearance. He looked different. I mean, think about it. How many times in the Bible does it stop to give like fashion advice? Like Matthew's not the fashion of police, all right? But he stops to address what he's wearing. He's saying that John the Baptist, he's wearing camel hair with, with a, a, a leather belt around his waist. That's unusual for the Bible to address him. And here's why. Because John the Baptist was out in the middle of the wilderness. He didn't care that he met uh, social norms. He didn't care that he was wearing a fashionable jacket that looked like everybody else's tunic. He didn't care if his sandals were in this season or last, all right? Now he don't even dress him. He's like rocking a camel hair coat and a belt, right? That's like, for some of you, you're like, that is a man after my own heart. Like, who cares about fashion? Who cares about style? Your wife does, okay? Your wife does. Because she's sitting here going, oh yeah, camel hair like that. No way that goes with a belt, leather belt like that. You know, who knows? Here's what we know. It was unusual in that day, so much so that it brings it up in the Bible. It lets us know that he's unusually dressed and compared to others. He's not fitting what they want. I mean, let's be honest. How often do you and I judge based off of appearance? The Bible tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Often we put people in stereotypical boxes based off what we see. All right, I was in a, a class where uh, they're teaching and equipping young pastors to preach and teach God's word better. And, and one of the first things the professor began to talk about wasn't even preaching, but it was what we wear. What we wear. People come in and, and you, we judge based off like what we see, right? If I came up here and my hair was like a hot mess, all right, and I'm rocking some camel hair with like cut off sleeves, you'd go, huh? 
this is a really weird pastor at Shirley Hills. Like, what, what is he doing? And our people would be like, what's wrong with Jacob today? Did he not take his meds? Like, something's off, right? This is who John the Baptist is. He's not, he's off by standards. He's off by visual appearances. And this is who God chose to announce the Son of God has come into the world. This is the one making the path straight in who Jesus is. So you got him, he's unusual in his appearance, but he's also unusual in his food. Look at what he eats. He doesn't eat normal things. I was seeing a meme come on Facebook this week that it said, uh, that there's a diff- bunch of different ways. A meme is like a picture with like words on it. And it, it, the word said, you know, uh, how do you like your steaks? And it's like rare, uh, medium rare, come on, medium, medium well. And then it was like, you know, done. And then like charcoal, right? And had all these pictures and it, it, it said on it, it said rare, medium rare, medium, all right, medium well. And then it said unfriend. And then it said delete Facebook. And what they were saying is, if you eat your steak like charcoal, I'm sorry, we can't be friends anymore that you like beef jerky like that. That's, that's not a steak, that's beef jerky, all right? Now, I'm not saying that we should be like steak snobs or food snobs, but I do think that it's telling us something else about him. I mean, the man is out in the wilderness preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's dressed in camel hair with a leather belt and he's eating locusts and wild honey. Now, some commentators uh, note that the word for locust is very close to the name of a plant that is there that you could eat and that was sweet and some people would say that you know that's who he was but in Levitical law it was it's actually okay according to the Old Testament to eat the meat of a locust and today there are still people very poor people in that area that eat locusts and eat the meat to survive and so I believe it probably wasn't that type of plant he wasn't vegan I think he was really eating locusts and wild honey he was unusual in his appearance and he was unusual in his food and the text is telling us something about that god doesn't just use people that we put in a box people that look a certain way or dress a certain way or have peculiar appetites and and taste he didn't care about any of those things he had one purpose god had one goal for his life and that is his call was to make the path straight before the lord to preach that the, the Son of God had come, and that gives us another something that was unusual about him. He had an unusual authority. He had an unusual authority. Think about John the Baptist like this. If you were going to plan a church to reach people, where would you plan it? Well, probably like in a city. We see the Apostle Paul doing this. When he's going and planning churches, he goes into a city that has people. He would preach to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. He would get in public arenas where people are, build a crowd, share the gospel. This is exactly what we do today. You find where people are, start churches there to, to reach people. I mean, think about it. Who would say, I tell you what, I'm gonna plant a church in middle Georgia and I'm gonna find the hardest location for people to get to our church. Matter of fact, how many people have said, you, you can't grow a church in a bad location? I mean, if you're in a bad spot, like, then you're just kind of stuck. Well, here we have John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere. He's not dressed right. He's not eating like normal food. But he preached with authority, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And look what the text tells us about him. It says that people were traveling from Jerusalem, from all Judea, in all the vicinity of the Jordan River. They were going out to him. You know why? You know why people were going out to him? Because it wasn't about what he looked like. It wasn't about the type of food. It wasn't that he was eccentric or not eccentric. Here's why. Because there's a lot of people who needed forgiveness of sins. There's a lot of people in our world in need of forgiveness. There's a lot of people hurting because as we looked at last week, sin, it produces the fruit of death. 
And so there's a lot of people in a sin issue, struggling with sin, and they're living a life where that sin has taken root and it's producing death, and now they hear there's this man preaching, repent, for the kingdom of, of heaven is near. The Son of God, the Messiah is near, repent. And, and, and it says that they were baptized and they were confessing their sin. Today, I want us to look at the fruit of repentance. And, and so we're gonna look at two parts of this. We're gonna look at repentance, and confession. So if you're looking for two points, just go ahead and start there. Point number one, repentance. Point number two, confession. We're gonna hit both of them, and then we're gonna hit some application in it. So let's look at repentance. He calls, he literally says, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance is the first command that John the Baptist teaches. It's the first thing that he's, it's the point of his message for the coming of Christ, and it's the message that Christ is gonna preach as well. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let me give you a few verses that I think can help you understand repentance. Repentance is another one of those church words that you're like, okay, what, what exactly is repentance, all right? So let me give you a few verses of scripture that I think can help us understand what it means to repent. Acts chapter 11, verse 21 says this. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And a large number turned to the Lord. Of the thousands of, of words that are used that we would use as repent or repentance, the number one is turning, is to turn. And let me give you another one. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says it this way. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, repentance is not only a feeling of remorse and guilt, but repentance is turning from that sin to God. It, turning, it, it's a course correction. Uh, it's a course correction. Somewhere along the way, when they were translating the Bible from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic into Latin, they used the wrong word for repentance. And, and instead of putting repentance, they put penance. And so what happened for literally hundreds of years, people began, instead of repenting, turning from sin to God, turning from idolatry to God, they were looking for penance, what they could do to get forgiveness of their sin. So there's a culture of people that when they would sin to get forgiveness of God, they practice penance. They would whip themselves in the back. They flogged their back, taking the skin off their back that they would be, have forgiveness of God. Some of them would pay the church to have forgiveness of their sin because they were looking for what they could do to turn from their sin to God. Now church, listen to me. That theory and that practice is alive and well today. Some of you want to bear fruit. And so you say, I want to bear much fruit for the glory of God, but I have sin in my life. And your very first thought is, well, what do I do? What do I do with this sin? He says, repent. And so your idea of repentance is, okay, well then now I need to do something to get forgiveness of that sins. And what repentance is, it's turning from your sin to the only person who can do anything about your sin. You can't do anything about your sin. You can't deal with your sin. You can't fix your mess. You can't pretty yourself up. You can't clean yourself up. But he was pointing to the one that came that they could do something about. He was pointing to the one who came to bring forgiveness of sin. The one that they could turn to away from their sin. The one who could save them and bring forgiveness. Turning, it's a course correction. Think about it. How often do you change your actions and then that changes how you think. You change your actions, it changes how you think. Or you change your thinking and it like changes your actions. God convicts you of something in your mind and then that, that produces a change in, in what you do. Or you're doing something wrong and you're convicted about it, 
All right, and so then you're like, mm, I need to, God, I, I need to change this. So you change what you're doing, and it changes how you think about that sin. How many of you, when you think about sins that you used to live in, you go, gosh, how did I live in that mess? How did I do, how was I okay with that? Well, God changed how you thought, and you turned from that to God. You repented and, and you confessed. Repentance is a change of action. It's a, a course correction. Now here's the deal, some of you right now, you're, it's a new year, some of you, you're watching online right now and you're thinking it's a new year, it's a new day, we're gonna start 2019 strong, I need to get more religious. I kinda, I need God back into my life, so what you're saying is, hey, here's what I, I need to kinda get this thing going. I need to kinda get my walk with God going. I, I need to kinda start, this is not a message on how to get it going, and here's why. Because everyone in this room is already going somewhere. You don't need to get it going. Your life is already moving in a direction. The Bible describes it like this. He says, wide is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to everlasting life. When people began to follow Jesus, they called it the way. They said the people of the way because Jesus changed how they lived and they were living like Jesus, so they said that's the way, how they're living their life. Everyone in this room, you are already living your life a certain way. You're already moving. And so what I don't want to do is to stop where you're living because you can't do it. Everybody listen to me. We can't stop time. It just keeps going. Your life, you just keep walking. So some of you are saying, hey, I just want to stop living in the sin that I'm in. Well, repentance is not stopping living in the sin that you're in. It's, it's reverting your course to a better way to live. So what happens is a lot of you start the year like, that's it. No more fast food. I'm just, I'm not gonna eat fast food. Okay, but you are gonna eat something. So you can't just say, God, I repent of eating fast food all the time, okay? Uh, I, I repent of lying all the time, or I repent of gossip, or I repent of overeating, or I repent of uh, affair. I re so, okay, you repent of that, but what are you turning to? So you've confessed the vice, but what virtue is taking its place? So God, not only am I not gonna eat fast food, I am gonna eat. Lord, I'm not just gonna stop gossiping. Lord, I'm gonna be encouraging. Lord, I'm not just gonna stop lying. God, I, wanna, I want my mouth to be filled with your praise and speaking truth. And so it's God, uh, it's turning from that very thing. Now, let me kinda give you an illustration. I'm, I'm about to date myself bad. Uh, how many of you remember the movie with Keanu Reeves called Speed? Anybody remember that movie? Yes, all right, some ladies were like, Keanu, I remember, yeah, okay. All right, so in that movie, all right, they're, they're driving a bus, and, and um, uh, what's her name, anybody remember? Yeah, Sandra Bullock, her. So Sandra Bullock, yeah, just Sandra. All right, she's driving, she's driving a bus, and there's a terrorist in town, and there's bombs on the bus, all right? Immediately, I love the movie. I'm like, yes, something's blowing up. So she's driving the bus, and if the speed of the bus drops below a certain level, the bus explodes. All right, so Keanu gets word, he's like the hero. He goes underneath the bus, like pops open a thing underneath, and obviously the hero gets on the bus with the explosives. And they have to find a way to navigate through this city so the, bomb, the bus doesn't blow up. So they like, I mean, they go down a, a wrong ro a road that's on construction. If you remember, they have to like jump a gap in the road and it keeps going. They, they just, they're doing all this crazy stuff because they can't drop below the speed. The whole point is they have to navigate the bus to the best path so the bus doesn't blow up, all right? What John the Baptist is doing is preaching the gospel so your life doesn't blow up. 
he tells us, and he's gonna warn the Pharisees and the Sadducees in just a minute, that sin is gonna bring about death in your life. Some of you right now, your life is blowing up. You see, but here's the deal, for some of you, what's happened for the first time ever in your life is you realize that there's a bomb on your bus. You realize that sin is a part of every person that's ever lived. We were born into sin, and then we choose sin. And that sin is gonna bring about death. And so what you're doing is you're driving that 55 mile an hour bus and you can't go below it. And you can't just stop or you blow up. Your life is moving. The question is, when we turn from that sin, are you turning to the place that's gonna bring life? Some of you are turning from one sin to another. And what happens is that just leads to more death and more destruction in your life. What John the Baptist is saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, I'm coming to, to share with you a good news, a gospel that's going to bring life and life abundantly. A joy that can only be found in God. This is the fruit of repentance. So repentance, it's not just stopping the path that you're on, but it's moving to the best path. And that path is one that's found in Jesus Christ. But here's the deal, church. We can't have it both ways. We can't have sin and the Spirit of God. We can't say, I want Jesus and my sinful lifestyle. It's one or the other. And in Christ, we follow him, we mess up, we sin, but we continue to pursue his righteousness in his word, in his way. So repentance is, is a, a course change. It's like, God, I, I'm repenting, I'm turning from this to you. I'm turning from sin to you, turning from idolatry to you. But then he says that they were, they were confessing. I love this. It says that John and all his camel hair and eating locusts and he's preaching. And, and then it says this, that all these people were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Now, it doesn't tell us were they like confessing it out loud. Most likely they began to confess to God. They heard that they need to repent. They need to turn from their sins. So they began to have a conversation with God. God, I've sinned this way and this way and this way. Kind of reminds me of, of when I came to know Christ. I didn't grow up in church a lot, so I didn't know all the rules or like what you're supposed to do. So when it came to give my life to Christ, I'm like, look, here it is, man. My life's a wreck, but I believe in Jesus. So like, what do I do? And he breaks out the ABCs on me. All right, you need to admit, believe, confess. I'm like, all right, I've already admitted. All right, I believe that like Jesus did all the stuff you said he did. And I, and I can like, he'll, he'll fix my life. I admit that. I believe that. All right, and so I need to confess. And so I started confessing every sin I could remember in my head. I'm like, man, I lied to my mom here. I signed my report card one time. I mean, I started going, he's like, whoa, 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 stop, stop, stop. I'm like, what? He's like, no, 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 you're not just, I thought that if I forgot a sin, that like that sin wouldn't be forgiven and that was enough. So I was like trying to name everyone I could. He's like, no, it's not just confessing every individual sin. It's confessing that you are living in a life of sin, that you're on the wrong path and you're confessing that you realize that Jesus is the answer to that, so you're confessing your need for Jesus, that he's your hero, that he's your savior. And I'm like, oh, I got that. Whew. It was about to get awkward in this place, okay? I had no clue. Some of you, when you begin to think about like what confession is and how you do that, confession is not just that you call your sin out, but confession is the process to which you agree with God about your sin. Let me say that again, confession is the process to which you agree with God about your sin. And think about it like this, all right? If you're a parent in this place, you got child A and child B. You can understand the process part because the process with child A and B goes something like this. Child A hits child B, all right? So then child B is a tattletale or cries loud enough and you hear about it. So then you come in and you're like, you don't tattletale, you don't hit, all right? So you need to tell child B you're sorry. And child A says something like this, I'm sorry, right? And so then you say, uh, no, 
no, that ain't real. All right, that's fake. All right, so you need to really say you're sorry. You need to like mean it. And if you don't mean it, I'm gonna make y'all stand here and hug for like 30 seconds. And then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, like for real, like, I'm sorry. Uh, please forgive me. Okay, you got it. Like 3.7 seconds later, child A hits child B again. All right, child A hits child B again. Now, did they, was their confession real before? No, they were caught, right? They were caught. It's a process. So now I step in, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. Daddy's wearing a belt. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Tears are flowing. Because a process has happened, they realize you're about to get a spanking. And that spanking is gonna hurt. And that pain is worse than actually like truly being sorry. So now, like that confession, they've repented, like they're wrong, they've repented, now they're confessing. What did you do wrong? I punched her, I thumped her in the neck, whatever. All right, and, and it always happens when you're driving and they're right behind you outside of arm's length. And so, not speaking from experience. But it's a process that they genuinely get it and understand it. Think about it, how often have you maybe confessed something to God, but you didn't change course? I mean, how often are you like, God, oh, I'm so sorry for this, like for real, I'm sorry. But you go right back to it. Because the confession is not, is genuine, you're caught, all right? And, and so confession is the process that we begin to agree with God on our sin. Sometimes it's immediate. Right now, for some of you, God is speaking to your heart. God is showing you some sin or something and you are already immediately agreeing. You're like, man, God, you're right. This is wrong. I'm repent. I'm gonna change course on this. I'm turning from this thing and you're ready to go. But some of you, God is kind of showing it and you're like, uh, it's not that bad. It's not really that big of a deal and it's a process. So confession is this process by which we begin to agree with God about our sin. First John 1, 9 says it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so for, for here, the people are coming out, they're realizing, man, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I need to turn from my sin to God. And they are acting on that by their public baptism, by displaying, I'm turning away from this idolatry and sinfulness and I'm turning to God. But right behind this, another group decides that they're gonna come out there. Look with me in verse seven. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. Oh gosh, that's a welcome committee, all right? That's not how we want to welcome you to Shirley Hills, right? Hey, good to have you, you brood of viper. Hope you enjoy church today. Awesome, I'm not coming back. He's speaking to them because there's something, this fruit that is on display with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is it? He says, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? They've already been identified as people. See, there were two groups of people that were coming out to see John the Baptist. Those who realized that they were sinners in need of forgiveness, and those who were self-righteous who were coming to condemn. They were in the same group. There was those who thought, I don't need this forgiveness. I don't need this. I've got Abraham. I've got my own righteousness. I follow the law. I'm good enough. I don't need this. I don't, I don't need this process. In this room, there is that same way. And some watching online, you, there are those who realize we are all sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. Amen, church? Amen. Every sin, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory, and we, the glory of God. We are in desperate need of His saving grace and mercy and kindness, and honestly, His patience in our life. Because we don't always get it the first time around. It's a process for many of us to root out sin and add His, his virtue and His character into our life. 
But then there are others, maybe, you're here this morning, that the, the reality is you're not ready to repent or to confess because you're good where you're at. I don't need all this. I'm gonna live my life. I might have a little God on the side, but I'm good. I, I don't need his righteousness. I'm good enough how I am. I'm good enough with my life. So I'm, I'm righteous and ain't nobody gonna tell me that I'm not doing life right. You're wrong, I'm right. Well, I wanna show you what he begins to talk to them and he begins to, to, to discuss a little bit. So let's talk about confession. How do we know if we confess our sin that we're forgiven? And how do we know that our confession is truly taking root that it produces? And here's how, are you ready? He's gonna tell them it happens because of the fruit that comes out of true repentance and confession. All right, the fruit that's gonna flow from this. Let, let's talk about the affirmation of repentance for just a second. Look what he's about to tell them. He says, all right, you brood of vipers who, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Verse eight, therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. He says, produce fruit that's consistent with repentance. It, it goes in order. We repent, we turn from our sin to God, and as a result, he begins to produce fruit in our life from that. We don't have fruit in our life, and then we repent. We turn from our sin, and sin is rooted out. The Spirit of God then begins to produce righteous fruit in its place, okay? And so what he tells them, okay, you brood of vipers, if you're so righteous, then produce fruit that's consistent with repentance. Produce fruit that's consistent with repentance. How do you know that your forgiveness is taking place? Maybe another way that people ask me this often is how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm truly born again? Here's how, because when we confess our sin to God, when we truly repent, turn from sin and turn to God as our savior, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sin. And how do I know that he's forgiven me of my sin? It's because from the moment that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, he began to produce spiritual fruit in my life. It produced life change. Things started changing in my life because I moved from one road, one path to another. Some of you are here today and one of my great fears for you is that you've had a spiritual experience, that you were around God and you went, man, he's right, I'm guilty. Like, and not only am I guilty, the next part of this is that there's an outcome that comes from repentance. See, the reason I say it's getting saved is because the next part is he tells them, who's warned you of the wrath that's coming? He tells them there's an ax at the root of your tree. He says, but if you don't produce fruit, all right, matter of fact, let me just read a passage that describes this. All right, Matthew chapter seven, verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and, or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces bad, good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Either every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. See, he gives a warning. The warning is that those who don't produce good fruit are gonna spend an eternity separated from God. They're gonna be cut down. We, let me say it this way. I believe that God didn't only desire to save us from sin, but he wanted to save us to something. We're not only saved from something, we're saved to something. What he has saved us to is to be a people that produce fruit for the glory of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That we would reflect the glory and character of God. So today, how do you know if you're saved? Because he begins to pour fruit into your life spiritually and empowers you to bear fruit that we would reflect God. How do I know that he accepted my forgiveness? Because he began to change my life. 
He began to produce fruit in me, and we are known by the fruit that we bear. Here's my fear, is that many of you in this place today and online, hey, I heard Billy Graham said this his entire ministry. He said, I, the great danger of the American church is so many people have said a prayer and asked Jesus into the heart, but there's never been life change. There's never been any fruit that result from it. Because we can confess one time. Think about it like this. How many times have your children confessed or repented to you about something and it, it, it produced no change? I want you to think about the person that's caught in their sin. Man, I've been caught. But just because you're caught in a sinful situation doesn't mean that you want to turn from that sin to a better way. Think about how often, maybe some of you have a family member, and it doesn't matter how much you want to help them, they always turn back to the sin. They always turn back to a lifestyle contrary to the gospel. See, some of you, you're here, you maybe said a prayer one time. Hey, some of you, you've gotten wet. Matter of fact, first service, we had somebody who said, listen, I got wet when I was 12, or baptized, but I didn't come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord until many years later. How many of you, in all honesty, how many of you got wet before you were baptized, and then you came to know Christ later, and then you had to be really baptized? Anybody out there? I was. That was me, that story, I saw my brother, all right, my brother like gave his life to Christ, was baptized, I'm like, I'm supposed to do that, and ain't no way my brother's getting to go in that pool in church and get wet without me. And so, hey, I need to be baptized, okay, yeah, you do. I got in there, got in some robe, got dunked under the water, came up the same Jacob as I was before. No difference in my life at all. Continuing to live in sin, continue to live apart from God, continuing for sin to bear fruit in my life of death. But one day, I heard the gospel, and I realized I didn't need spiritual experience, I didn't need a prayer, I needed Jesus. And I gave my life to Christ, and from that point on, he began to produce fruit in my life. How do we know, how do we know, is there's, there's a moment of, of affirmation of repentance in our life. You know that repentance has been affirmed, it's real, it's genuine, when we change course. When he produces fruit in our life, and he tells you, hey, I want you, why don't you then? He tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees, then produce fruit, that's consistent with repentance. Man, I, I hope and pray that as a people and as a church that this is the type of fruit that God will bear in our life. You see, we're not gonna bear a fruit because of how righteous we are. We'll bear a fruit because of how righteous God is. Of broken people. Last week, it was kind of a heavy message on sin and, and our need for, for Jesus. And I, I told Jeff beforehand, I said, listen, watch. Our response time will probably not be uber active. And the reason why is because when we talk about like sin and pornography and like really bad stuff, nobody wants to come into the altar when you're talking about that stuff. Because if I come down to the altar when you're talking about that, they might think I've got a pornography problem. They might think I've got like a marriage problem. I'm just gonna pray right here in my seat. Church, listen to me. If we wanna see true revival and we wanna see God bear fruit in our church, we have to stop caring what people think and fall before a holy God and care what he thinks. Who cares? Everybody in here has some kind of issue. Can I get an amen? amen? All of us do. What's keeping some of you online at home is you don't realize that we are messed up in need of Jesus every single day. You see, the fruit of repentance is not only one time for salvation, it is every day. Every day. Uh, last Sunday, it was awesome. A man waited after, came into the room, a connect room, gave his life to Jesus right there in the connect room. It was amazing. It was awesome. And this is what I told him. I said, what you need to understand now that you've given your life to Christ, you are about to be so convicted all the time, you are gonna wonder, did I do this right? Because when God comes into your life and the light of the gospel begins to shine, we get convicted. We get convicted. We treat somebody not the right way, it's convicting. It tears us up and we ought to respond to that with repentance and confession. 
All right, I'm about to give you a confession moment. Stacy's gonna remember this because I'll never forget it. I was at Walmart this one time. Let me just stop right there. If I'm at Walmart, I need prayer, okay? Just stop right there. Like she will tell you, if I'm at Walmart, I need Jesus, a lot of them at that point, right? And so we were in Walmart in Raleigh and I was so frustrated and aggravated. A dude cut in front of me in line and I thought I'm about to DDT this joker. Like I'm so frustrated. And then the person at the register kept doing something wrong, kept doing something. I was so frustrated. And I said, ma'am, you, you know, you didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. And I saw Stacy's face and I went, uh-oh, I just messed up. I just spoke to that way in a, in, a, in a lady in a way that's not honoring to the Lord wasn't good. I was so mad. I was mad in the car. I was mad on the way home. I didn't embarrass Stacy, embarrass myself, embarrass Jesus, but I was mad. Right? I was frustrated. Anybody ever been there? Come on, guys. Yeah. Somebody like I went to Walmart yesterday. Right? Yeah, that's you. It tore me out the frame. So I had to go back and drive to Walmart, walk in there, find that lady. Like, ma'am, listen, I need to apologize. I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed. I shouldn't act like that. Now, in my mind, my self-righteous part thought, but y'all need to get y'all's register system fixed up in here because this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, this is ridiculous, right? And I was thinking that, but I knew it didn't matter what they did. It mattered how I responded to what they did. And I respond sinfully, and I had to, you had to deal with that. Some of you, you're in here today, and you're frustrated, and you're not frustrated with me. You're not frustrated with our church. You're frustrated with sin that's bearing death in your life. And we got to deal with it. And the way we deal with that as the body and the family of God is to repent and confess it. Repent and confess it to God. Repent and confess it to God. Right now, you need to turn from that sin to the Lord. You need to change action. And you do that freely by confessing it to God. And then when we're able to confess it to God, we can publicly talk about where we fall short of the glory of God because God forgives us. That lady, thankfully, she forgave me. All right? And I'll tell you, it was like an hour later, and she remembered it. It wasn't like she didn't remember it. She remembered me. She saw me coming up, was like, oh, Lord, here comes that guy, you know? And I thought, I'm so sorry, you don't have to run from me. She was like, taken off to the break room. Man, maybe today for some of you, there needs to be a moment where you step back and say, you know what, I need to repent. I want to read Psalm 51 really fast, and we're going to be done. This is an example of repentance and confession. This is an example where David has sinned. And listen, this is his kind of journal to God, ultimately, Psalm 51, where he's dealing with that sin and repentance and confession. Psalm 51 says this, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin, for I'm conscious of my rebellion. Lord, I'm aware where I rebelled against your word, and I'm agreeing with you about my sin. God, forgive me of that. Hey, students, when you sin against your parents, do you go back to them and say, you know what, I'm sorry for this, I'm wrong? You know what, I, I shouldn't have talked that way, I shouldn't have, to your brother and sister, do you go back to them like, you know what, hey, listen, I've rebelled against God here, I know that ain't how I'm supposed to be, so part of me being right with God and, and my intimacy with God being right is I need to restore things here. Do we do that, or do you just say, well, I've dealt with God like I'm good? But sometimes our, our sin affects people around us. So we need to communicate it to God, but we need to ask him to make things right horizontally. He says, against you, verse four, you alone I've sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence on me. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. So I know I was born into this and I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. This is the fruit that he's asking for. 
God, because I'm repenting in confession, Lord, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create within me a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Lord, deal with my heart. Deal with me and you. And then through that restoration, use me now to be a blessing to other people. Let me teach them what I've learned. You see, for us to be on mission with God, we first have to be right with God. I believe God wants to bear a lot of fruit in his, his church. I believe God wants to produce fruit through you and I, but it starts with us being right with God, having our intimacy with God being right. I wonder today, I wonder today, if there's anyone that would say, you know what, this is me. I wanna close with the outcome of repentance. The Bible says, and he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees that if you do not repent, you will be banished. You will be separated from God. So everybody, I want you, if you don't hear nothing, hear what I'm about to say. God loved you so much that he sent his son to come and die in your place so that we don't have to experience death and separation from him. Jesus came that we could have life and have it abundantly. But the way that we receive that gift is by repenting, turning from our sin and to him and receiving the gift of forgiveness and grace and mercy and kindness. It's not just something we believe in our head but we believe it in our heart through acting in faith on that promise that he's given us. You see, for you, if you're here today, the outcome of sin in your life will lead to death. But the gift of God is life and life abundantly. I pray that we would be a people who repent and confess often. Hey, church, let's deal with our sin. Let's give it to God and let's watch the fruit he produces in our life as we daily, hourly practice repentance and confession. Why don't you stand with me? Our team is coming. We have an opportunity at Shirley Lewis every Sunday where we can respond to the gospel, where we can respond to the good news that we've heard. Man, we're going to open up our altar. Maybe you just want to come and pray and lay some things at the feet of Jesus. Hey, you've heard the message on repentance and confession. Let's not worry about anybody else, and let's make sure we leave this place right with our intimacy with God in the correct place. Maybe you're here today and say, you know what? I know that this is where God's calling me. I want to join the body of Christ at Shirley Hills, and I want to be on mission with you. Hey, come on, we'd love to help you in that process. Maybe you're here and you just need to make some things right. Our altar's open. You guys can come in a moment. But maybe you're here and the reality is you came in here a sinner and God wants you to leave a saint. You've come in here identified by your sin, but Jesus wants you to be identified by your Savior. Maybe today it's time for you to give your life to Jesus Christ and you can be saved because he's buying you back from that sin and you don't have to experience death. Man, our pastors are gonna be down front. We're gonna encourage you to get out of that pew. Come down here and let's respond to the gospel. Church, let's, let's respond to the Lord. Father, move our hearts. God, guide us as your church that we would be a people who are aware of our sin but also more aware of our Savior and your grace and your kindness in our life. Let us hate sin like you hate sin. God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart and it would... You, you would turn us away from it. And God, the way we turn away from that is through repentance and confession. Lord, I pray that we would have relationships one with another that we can lay down our, on our feet before you. We can grab people in this place, say, come with me. I wanna be right with God. Let us have an openness to say, God, we just wanna be right with you. Move our hearts now that we would be a people who repent and confess. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.